0: And I've got to be honest that I think, and we can probably all say the same thing, that although UC has been around 20 years and was 42 years of its cultivation, um, it, it's not reached its pinnacle of what I would say combative efficiency, until I met Libre, until I met um, it, it, you know, uh, Carlos Amanos. Once I met and added those two implements or implemented those two things into the ingredients, they made what I do better, and I think you know Scott will say the same thing, and I think that Six does That's say the same thing. So they complement each other. They are they were born to be a trio.
1: Welcome everyone to uh, Pinoy Martial Arts Mastermind. This is episode thirteen, and today we have a very very special treat with you because uh, we are joined today by three. Founders of three systems, right? Systems, I, I know you guys don't like that word, but... Uh, uh, no, it's three, just me. Three, <laughs> three systems of uh, self-protection and uh, weaponized combat. Uh, first off, we have Dr. Sixto Carlos, founder of uh, Carlos Hermanos Stick and Knife Fighting. We have uh, Mr. Scott Bab of uh, Libre Knife Fighting uh, of San Diego. And we have uh, Mr. Uh, Lee Morrison of Urban Combatives of uh, of the UK, right? So
0: say hi, everyone. Hello, hi. how are you doing? Having <laughs> So this uh, is the University of Bad Attitude, you know right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so and and of course there's me. Uh, you don't know who you don't need to know who I am, but just in case, my name's Dax. Uh, so uh, we're gonna have. Uh, <laughs> Brad Pitt, you know, <laughs> we're not him anymore. So it's uh, these three. All right, uh, they represent uh, the very, let's say, very cutting edge. Very, uh, if if you know, allow me to use the phrase controversial. Very in-your-face systems today. Very in-your-face systems. Um, So uh, let's start off uh, with with my first question for you guys, which is, uh, okay, you're all founders of your very own systems. Uh, So please explain uh, to the uninitiated listeners out there what it is that you have developed and what is your primary goal in creating your system?
0: Let's start off with you, Lee. Right, okay, so what you see is, what you see is, is the formulation of a bunch of very simple conclusions that were formulated after certain experience. And many people who are, have developed such things have come to similar conclusions via similar experience. So, what mine relates to is dealing with antisocial behaviour, aggression, and violence. And I mean street violence right through to the worst possible case scenario, level 10 threat, where you're looking at death. So, what, from a, a martial perspective, would you need to deal with that? Well, in a martial perspective, the physical part's pretty fucking simple. It's not based on technical responses, it's not based on the accumulation of knowledge of different ways of doing things. It comes down to simple principles and concepts. But the most important factor before I go into the physical tools is the emotional side. So in order to be able to deal with extreme violence, and I don't mean simulated violence in a self-defense gym where you're pretending. And I don't mean, you know, martial arts where you're marching up and down in white pajamas. I mean, a situation that you find yourself in where if you don't access the skill set you've got, to get you out of it, then you are getting out of it. In which case there's a huge mental component attached to that. So you see really in a physical sense is a, a very small physical toolbox of primarily gross motor movements that are easier to uh, learn and retain at the fight duress. And they are implied or applied I should say in a, a principle based way. So for example, the three elements of self-protection relate to personal security skills so a lot of what a lot of people don't know about you see when they see me on youtube is that the, the majority of what i teach is based around avoidance escape de-escalation understanding and recognizing predatory behavior early uh, knowing how to create a confident body language profile so you demonstrate less victim profile and um, it's trusting your instincts, etc., etc. A lot of non-physical things go into UC which are geared towards personal security or learning to be street smart because the best self-protection of all is don't fucking be there. I do not want to have to take somebody apart with my hands just as you know, S- Scott doesn't want to have to fight for his life with a knife, just as six though, doesn't want to have to put up a, a number two before around your head in order to get home. You know we want to avoid the physical at all costs and certain self-protection or personal security measures are in place to do that most of that is on a psychological side so the actual physical part comes in two facets first if you're going to face violence because you can't avoid it and you can't escape well then you've got two options be the hammer or the anvil so a proactive use of force that would be deemed as reasonable and necessary in the circumstances to get you out of the situation, would be, I do something before he does something or they do something. So here's where principles come in. Principles are, let's say, Blitzkrieg, an offensive campaign designed to totally fucking overwhelm the enemy before there's any chance of recovery or retaliation. So I'm gonna take this fucker out of the fight before he even knows he's in. Well, the actual technical element of doing that really isn't that important. I'm just gonna hit him in the head. Shake his brain, shut down his central nervous system, put him on the floor, thank you very much. my lovely wife, say hello. That's my Hi, lovely wife. Abby. Hi, B. <laughs> Hi. Put him in a recovery position and get gone as soon as I can. If I can use the minimum amount of force to make that objective, then I will. So a preemptive, proactive response. The next element would be that I'm caught unaware, I'm caught by surprise, I'm fixated by something, my attention is someone else, which can happen every day because I'm human. In which case now somebody is assaulted. And that could be one person and an unarmed assault, which is where we start to learn, or more probable, it's going to be likely more than one and there's going to be a weapon involved. So make no mistake, consequences of dealing with violence are, are all fucking horrible. But in a physical sense, We learn how to hit extremely fucking hard left and right with our natural bodily tools first. That's what we learn. So I would say, preemptively strike, attach, keep fucking attacking until the subject's down and no longer ambulatory. That's the way we train. And understand if we train that way, we're training for a level 10 use of force. Combatives are design for a real world threat to life. They're not like somebody looked at your girlfriend in a bar. I'm not teaching you how to break away from somebody that's holding the wrist. We are talking a potential deadly threat uh, that you could be facing in the street. A definition of deadly force. Any force offered to you that's likely to cause grievous bodily harm and or your death. Well, what you're seeing now in the street is that there is no have a straightener like it was in my day where we go over to the park, have a good punch up. There's none of that. You can say the wrong sentence and the person will be hell bent on your destruction and strive to stab you to death. And what he does, his mate will jump in as well. That's what you face it. So even the most trivial trivial of arguments could turn into a level ten threat. In which case, if you're gonna face that level of violence, you need the same level of response back you need to try, So if you're gonna face a level ten threat, you need to prevent for toilet. And there's also a need on an emotional level to understand that. Violence, once it's in your face, is fucking scary. As soon as you go from, if you have no experience of it, you will immediately go from cognitive to limbic brain. You will be flooded with the emotional response. And if you don't understand it, you're just going to get overwhelmed completely. You're going to hit what's called condition black, and you're just going to freeze up, and you're just going to get devoured. So I teach my students incrementally the importance of, first of all, being as aware as you can so that you get some kind of heads up. Now, that's not going to stop you once you get in a condition of alarm and you realize that there's a violent problem. That's not going to stop the adrenaline hitting your body. But it is much better than being taken by surprise and getting a massive, overwhelming adrenal dump. That's the most difficult to deal with. So UC is made up of understanding how you're going to feel, understanding the level of violence that you could be facing, and understanding that if you are ever gonna have any chance of dealing with violence and aggression at that kind of level, you've got to cultivate an ability to access a level of violence and aggression that totally leapfrogs past his, that will eclipse what you're facing. And until you can do that, the argument about whether a punch is better than the palm strike is futile because you're not going to be able to operate. So UC is primarily about the mental, physical, and emotional conditioning needed to deal with violence. The toolbox is very simple. You can use a palm, a slap, a hammer fist, an elbow, or a knee. These are the staple tools we use in UC. But you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get the same result if you use your fist. You'll get the same result if you use the headbutt. you get the same result if you use the piece of wood. It's not about the technical skill. It's, it's about the, the, the principle of you know, implementing in a proactive sense, a higher level of aggression and violence than the other guy first. That's what I primarily teach. And then contingency plans for the what if. Well, what if there's more than one? What if you're held up with a weapon? What if it goes to the ground? What if, what if, what if, and what you're looking at. What what I will say about UC it was cultivated in 1999, so 20 odd years ago. And for the crux of that period of time, I teach people, even if they're facing the extreme, to use a level of violence that would be deemed by your peers, let's say, reasonable and necessary and no more. This is not about retribution. It's very important that you know how to articulate your defense in court, so you try to articulate why you did what you did, because there's three enemies. The first enemy is yourself. You know, the emotional response that you will feel, that big inner chatterbox that tells you, you can't handle it. You've got to overcome that before you overcome the second fight, which is whatever you're facing. And then if you are fortunate enough to prevail and get away in one piece due to your skill set, there's the third fight, which is the aftermath or the consequences of the event. The consequences of the event could be, you know, criminal proceedings against you, Uh, heavy fines, imprisonment, comebacks. You could be out uh, with your wife at a later date and you see the same guy again with three of his friends. All consequences of violence are negative, you need to understand that. in order to be able to deal with it, you need physical and emotional, physical hardware and the emotional soft, if you like, in order to deal with that. Now in the main, I teach you see, or have done for many years, working towards being a lawful, law abiding citizen where if forced, and given no choice because you know my movement was obstructed and I was about to be assaulted, that I would use a level of force where possible that would reflect the threat I was facing and no more. So legality would be an issue. But I am one of the only instructors that, I mean, I research everybody, of course, I always look at the competition that has actually moved with the modern enemy. And if you look how a modern enemy changed some 10 years ago, we were seeing more incidents of active shooter active threat kind of situations in in Europe where you know you're getting a bunch of people going out with edge weapons because firearms are in slim demand and to beheading as many people as they can you know the kind of terrorist incidents that I'm talking about now whether they are a false flag for something else or whatever else that kind of level of violence was hitting our streets we were seeing you know, vehicles fucking running people over, followed by people jumping out with machetes and just chopping people up. But that's a new level of violence, isn't it? Surely. In which case, you've got to start to adapt and grow. The level of violence that we've been seeing in recent times, um, in my opinion, I don't believe that there is an unarmed method of self protection, an unarmed skill set that will allow the best of people to deal with a multiple armed threat. So there is a need to learn weapons. So within the last, probably the last seven, eight, nine years of UC, we started to introduce an idea of what we call tier one civilian. And that is a combative trainee, rather than learning unarmed skills, should learn more, should learn how to use a point and edge weapon, should learn how to use an impact weapon, should know how to shoot should know how to drive offensively and defensively, should know combat casualty care, how to stop massive bleeding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A whole gamut of skills were starting to become necessary for the way the environment had been changing. And uh, hence our uh, uh, connection. You know, I looked at everything from a blade perspective and I will say unequivocally that I never found anyone more on the ball with how edge weapons should be used than Scott Babb. you know Scott Babb was is bang on the fucking money, he uses it offensively and it suits me. it suits you. See, I can see that if you want to have any chance with an edge weapon, then, then what was laid out by Scott Babb since two thousand and four is, is is the doctrine to follow and it's, it's my influence. And in the same vein, if I wanted to become extremely good with impact and blunt force trauma, I looked everywhere. There is no one out there, unequivocally, that it matches what Sixto Carlos puts out in his curriculum. It's so simple, it's combative, and we all share the commonality of less is more and it's, it's simple and offensive. So as an accumulation, I think now, and I encourage all my people for the modern environment you need to learn UC, you need to learn fucking Libre, and you need to learn color samanas. All of my students practice elements of this and the elements of it that I give them. And, um, you know, if I lived in a place where firearms were illegal, mate, uh, I'd own a fucking armory. I really fucking would. I mean, I'd be shooting every single day. I mean, I shoot a lot when I'm abroad. And now I've got a nice dry fire set up here, got some cert, do a lot of airsoft. But I believe that all of those skills are important for what is happening in the modern change of society and what's coming. You know, I think you need to be a lot more physically capable on a lot more levels. And I think most importantly, that you need to have the mindset to catch up with that. So basically, in a nutshell, you see is... University of badassery to deal with that shit. That's what it is. Yeah. Sorry, okay. ramble <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful.
1: <clears throat> Thank you. Thank no, you. man. I'm
2: glad you're here to carry this interview because <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> not to be nearly as articulate
1: as you are. I, I'm, I'm. so glad that just, I just asked
3: questions. Six. I'm going to keep. I, I'm going to keep quiet now.
1: <laughs>
3: now okay. six. No, no. Really.
1: <laughs> are now of, Carlos hermanos. Uh, your system uh, explain uh, your system and then uh, what was your goal in developing it?
3: Uh, actually I, I'm i not sure even if, if I should call it a system I didn't even know what to call it uh, my background is uh, like you guys I, I did some boxing Taekwondo Karate Muay Thai BJJ but I was attracted towards weapons, uh, impact and bladed weapons. And I was lucky enough to learn from masters here in the Philippines. Uh, The thing is, when I learned with uh, different instructors, different masters, all of them had this different focus. And I was trying to see how can you connect them? But uh, I think Scott, you, you would know this. A lot of FMA guys, if you learn one system, it's like a Kung Fu system. You learn, let's say, a dragon style. It's different from butterfly style. You you cannot actually mix them. So what I tried to do was uh, I tried to train. um, Carlos Hermanos is more of a training system, uh, training method than a system. I tried to make it generic enough that you can learn basically anything. If you study Carlos Hermanos, and if you study other knife systems, other impact systems, it would be easy to learn them um, because it's very simple. We don't, I, I, I don't focus on traditional names, uh, what my master wants me to do, what um, somebody did four generations ago. So I, I keep it simple.
0: Um, and I the think thing that's, that's <laughs> the commonality between sorry to interrupt, but I think that's the commonality between all three of us. Because after we did that triple summit, I had a lot of um feedback from that on about all of us. And they said, to be honest, somebody like me, this guy that was talking, he said, I didn't come from any martial background at all, but I am a realist and I got the right mindset. And what I learned in one hour from Scott and from Sixto and from you. In any one of those things, if I had a stick in my hand, I'm confident. If I've got a blade in my hand, I'm fucking capable. And if I'm stupid enough to be caught unarmed, I've got a shot. He goes, you know, <laughs> and I appreciate that. And I think that's the commonality where it's so simple, it's easily installed and retainable. Less is more, people. Yeah, um,
3: th- th- that's also the thing that I learned from you guys. I learned from you, Scott and Lee. You have a big influence on me. Um, th- the thing is, uh, one thing that made me develop this method of training is when we were teaching the military, Dax, remember,
1: yeah.
3: Uh, normally they just give us two hours, three hours at most, and most likely we won't be seeing them again. So I had to teach them something, something that would work immediately. When I leave them, they just do the same thing all the time and it would work. I don't need to see them, I don't need the, okay, you learn this one to ten, then later I come back and you learn technique eleven to twenty. No, I just teach you very simple stuff. If you want to add anything, it's up to you. It's that generic. Mm.
0: That's really good. Really good. I mean, the epitome of that is the, what you should all ask yourself: is what we asked ourselves when we did that summit, and that is right. If I've got one hour. To give somebody what I believe is the best that I have within the method I use, nobody did that better than Scott. Nobody yeah, did that man. better than Scott. That's what you. he showed <laughs> of Libre there. If I wanted to say to somebody this is what Libre is, that's the shit I charm. Mm. You know, that is every single motion and movement that was broke down and built back up, any one part of that would work. Yeah. And, that's and that's what you what you need. You you really Get us all proud there, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and, one hour presentation, in my opinion, took the best of everything you've ever done on video and put it in one place. And that's our streamlined. I, I agree. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and and, you. and I really I, well.
1: I I had more than one person t- tell me the same thing.
0: Yeah. Uh
1: so for people me. who don't understand what, what Lee is talking about, uh recently, about uh, about two months ago, uh we uh these three, they collaborated, uh, there you go, in, uh, in this, this uh, three-weekend seminar that we, uh, we called the Triple Summit Seminar. And it was live, uh, streamed live via Zoom uh, on uh, three time zones, over three time zones in three countries. So, we have the UK, the US, and the Philippines. And it was, it was very successful. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, we, but we'll talk about that later on. Uh, Scott, it's your turn. Uh, explain Libre and what was your goal in uh, in developing it?
2: Uh, so I started doing weapons work when I was 15 years old in 1993. Uh, I, always, I fell in love with weapons work, uh, Filipino martial arts. As I got older and matured as a martial artist and started to gravitate more towards the combative side of things, I started to realize that um, a lot of the knife work I had learned and the knife work that I was just seeing out there in the world, uh, it had been sterilized for lack of a better word, where you saw a lot of flow patterns where yeah. it looked very nice and there were sort of clean exchanges. And it was sort of almost a very polite sort of way to train knife work. And it was very much geared around dueling. And there was little discussion of the nastiness of it and the aggression, you know, arterial spray and bleed out times and you know, you know, slashing or stabbing someone in the eye and the real nasty visceral part of it. Um in hindsight well, I've come well. to, I think it was watered down largely to make it more marketable because it is so off putting. Uh you know, if you just take a, a regular group of, you know, traditional martial artists and you give them knife trainers and start training them to stab each other in the eye, you know, with protection and safety, of course, uh, they're going to freak out. It's going to turn their stomachs. And so I think a lot of the, the knife work that had been presented was very, uh, uh, very, very watered down and very approachable. And that really, yeah, it was made it very palatable. And it was, uh, it was very much uh, a reflection it didn't reflect the way knife violence unfolded in the modern world, where if you look at the way knife violence folds, especially here in the West, people don't pull their knives and square off and sort of have a back and forth duel. It's the weapon of a murderer where someone's gonna get in your face, they're gonna keep the knife concealed and they're gonna just launch a nasty attack where they grab onto you and prison shank you or grab the back of your head or throw you Mm -hmm. into the wall and stab you to death if someone is intending to kill you with a knife. Um, a lot of times knife work is used as compliance, tool. but what we really specialize in is those moments when you're going to be fighting for your life with a blade. Um, and so we started back engineering it. We started looking at the way knife violence unfolds in the Western world and figuring out how to contend with that. And I was in a very fortunate position, uh, early on where I was training at Calderon who, uh, was still active in his work in Mexico and Ed started introducing this to some of the agents in Mexico that went up against the drug cartels. And then I started going down there and, and training them as well. And they were in a very sort of surreal position for me where we could show them something and within a couple months, they would have applied it out in the field because these guys are crazy and they're in this very deadly violent sort of situation where they are fighting for their lives regularly. So we could show them something and get real world feedback uh, within months. And we were able to sort of refine and adapt the system based on that and make it stronger and streamline it. Uh, and it just what I really credit to is sort of a ge- geographical, um, geographical luck in that San Diego was this, you know, in America, this first world country that people felt very safe traveling to And so I had the opportunity to train people from all over the world who were coming to train with me. Then we could take that right across the border. Mexico is literally 20 minutes from me. So we could take that across the border, train those guys down there. And then Mexico was the laboratory where they would actually go out and apply this in the field. And then after they would apply it, they could tell us things that happened and we could refine what we were doing based on that. Uh, And there was this sort of, I hate to use the word fortunate, but... You know, there was this synergy there where, um, you know, we were getting real-time feedback in what we were developing, and we were able to hone it based on that. And what, one of the things that evolved from that is we always had the attacks to the face and the eye that you see in Libre as part of the curriculum. But when we really started focusing on that, now that's the first thing I teach. And that was really based off of incidents in Mexico where someone had stabbed someone in the eye or slashed their face and the guy dropped like a stone. And we realized that people really usually aren't going to register when they've been stabbed. Like, Lee, I know, for example, you've been stabbed. It's and, true. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And most people don't realize they've been stabbed until after the altercation's over. But when someone gets stabbed in the eye or gets their face slashed, even though that's not usually going to be a lethal um, wound, it's something they react to right away. They drop like a stone. Um, so getting feedback like that, we were able to refine the system and streamline it. And um, where I've been taking it lately has really um, been influenced by my work with Lee. Um, Lee and I did, did our first seminar was in Chicago, I believe. That was the first one we did together, right? Mm. Um, and talking about just the overlap of principles and synergy as an example, we met maybe 20 minutes before that seminar started in person. And we went in there and just totally winged it. And afterwards, people were like, how long did you guys plan that? Like it just meshed perfectly. And we were like, really, we were just watching what each other was doing and sort of feeding off of it. And it just like meshed like in a really perfect way. And that's where I've really first started thinking about um, the, uh, how to, the more street elements of urban Combative is about like how to line up a punch, how to contact manage Uh, things like that. And I started in the aftermath of that, really studying that part of urban combatives along with the whole system, because it's fucking amazing. Uh, But really studying the contact management aspects and starting to introduce that into Libre Um, and really taking it from just a combative or just from a physical system to adding in the soft skills and um, adding in more context around what happens before the fight, what happens after the fight. And for me, that's when Libre really started to feel like it came together um, as an entire system rather than just a method of stabbing someone. Um, and you know, in the, when we did the, the summit seminar that we were just discussing, this one of the things that I discussed was how the overlap of principles that you saw in all three systems, the focus on basic gross motor skill mechanics that don't go against your body's the way your body naturally wants to move, the focus on power, intensity, um, overwhelming the opponent, not being reactive, being proactive, Mm. putting an opponent- The essential
0: ingredients that I was talking about in the beginning, it's simplified down to an offensive method, and that's the commonality we all shared. The reason that we gelled so well in Chicago and then uh, sometime later when we taught in Colorado is because we share those commonalities. You know, and the fact that you uh, had the opportunity to have a training laboratory, if you like, for the guys in Mexico, that's a, a, a common thread to most methods of functional combatants. They were born out of reality. You know, UC, UC was the same. I mean, for, like, for although it was a, from an unarmed perspective, violence was violence and I had some brutal, brutal incidents, but it was born out of a training laboratory. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, I was testing what worked and what didn't. And your guys in Mexico were doing similar things. And the great thing about that is, because any knife system gets bad rap straight away because the knife is the tool of the bad guy, the very first thing that you teach may well indeed be the only thing that that person needs to know. And it can be less than lethal. When you showed that transition of teaching the stab to the eye based on the evidence that you got back, The very first thing that I teach women in my self-protection program became that, you know, I had to stab somebody in the eye, a perpetrator in the eye with something sharp, whether it's a pencil, whether whatever the fuck it is, that stun and run type of tactic. I think is a massive, breakthrough for um for 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 women equalizing the disparity between aggressive male and maybe an armed male or maybe more than one armed aggressor. You know and so so a lot of people look at Libre, oh it's so it's so offensive people it's using a fucking knife dude. Understand that context is dict content of material is dictated by the context of the situation. But what I love about Libre is the very first thing you teach, even if you use that big power edge down the face or any type of eye entry, in, in the majority of cases, I would say in the huge majority of cases, that is less than lethal. And if you taught somebody a stun and run tactic such as that, I think they've got a really good chance at self-preservation. And of course, beyond that is gonna call for an escalated use of force, in which case it would have anyway. But you know, people need to understand context of a situation before they judge the content what's presented. Yeah, you know what I, mean? um,
3: I
2: totally agree. And one of the things that uh, I get oh. asked about a lot or critiqued on a lot uh, is why don't I teach more or less lethal techniques, you know, like disabling someone by cutting the arm and stuff like that.
0: Well, it's already it can, been done.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, You know, every seminar I've done, I've always asked, has anyone here been slashed or stabbed in a street fight? And there's usually at least one or two. And when I asked, when people have been slashed in the arm, I asked them, did that inhibit your motor function in your arm in any way? And the answer is almost always like, no, no, I was still grabbing onto the guy. I was still punching him uh, because it has to be such a deep, massive cut to disable a limb. Um, and when you start looking at the kind of knives we carry in the West, where it's going to be small fixed blades like this, or, um, you know, pocket knives, and you're in a situation where people are wearing several layers of clothing. If you're trying to hack on their arm with that, uh, you might just ruin their clothes. You know, they might need stitches, but the chances that you're going to get a completely disabling cut with a small knife in the heat of an exchange, um, that's going to render an arm limp is very, very thin. And that's not to say that it's a tactic that doesn't work where it originated in the Philippines. In the Philippines, they have these big, heavy, massive agricultural blades, and it's a tropical environment where they wear very light clothing. So yeah, if you hack into someone's limb with one of those, you're going to take their fucking arm off.
0: But if the you I a like it, it, you're somebody's hand is is the thing and the snake idea of the situation where it wasn't necessarily videoed and there weren't necessarily any witnesses. If you cut somebody left and lethally in the hand, what is that? It looks like a defensive wound. Who's yeah. to say that? You, yeah. Who's to say that you didn't attack first? Do you know what <laughs> I mean? So I I don't subscribe to that. Yeah, if you cut the tendon here just above the knee, then he won't be able to stand. Bollocks! If you're going to use a knife because the situation is that dire, yeah. then I think you need to yeah. go with something a little bit more high probability of success.
2: Yeah. If you're in a situation where knife, where using a lethal force weapon is justified legally, it's got to be a lethal force situation. If you're using a knife in a situation where it's not a lethal force situation, you're opening yourself to all kinds of civil and criminal liability. Cause you can think about the kind of people who are on a jury they're not people like us. They're not people who train every day. They're not people who go in and hit bags and train with sticks and knives and thump on each other. These are, you know, they're the average sort of, you know, sheep that goes through life. They have their job in the office or their stay-at-home parent or their retiree. You know what i saying. Yeah. And now, you know, all they're going to see is... Photos of someone who was hacked to bits—they might have lived—but when you get on the stand, when you know your lawyer starts trying to say, "Well, yeah, but he was very careful not to stab him or slash him in any place lethal," they're gonna be like, "What a load of bullshit!" You know, I—if I, I was on a jury, I would think that. Um, I mean, the, the thing I think
0: you should think about is there's a time in life that can you're, you're most likely to face what we call a uh, "all bets are off." type of situation so of course we want to stay within the realms of legality. that's what separates us from the criminal but the very thing that makes us good people is what makes us extremely vulnerable to them so you need to understand that there's a line three-armed or four-armed men kicking your fucking door in they're coming to take everything you've got rape and kill your family and leave you in a bloody pile then all bets are off legality doesn't matter at this point and it's at that point the naysayers about libre and use of a knife and everything else would be most glad of a knife in their hand and the skill set that you impart like i said it's all about context you've got to understand where it belongs you know, in that situation it's not a case now of you know staying within the realms of legality it's live or die get killed get killed and you know you're not going to Fucking about trying to t- cut somebody's tendon so they can't use the primary hand anymore is probably not the best thing that you could do in a situation like that. Yeah, Gosh. especially when
2: catching their face will drop them like a stone and end the altercation. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then the other thing is we actually pressure tested this. We, you know, one of the ways we train is we lock people in an enclosed space and make them spar to simulate the kind of aggression they're going to be facing in a street oh. scenario. And when I would assign roles and I'd tell the first guy, okay, I want you attacking the weapon. I want you hunting for the arm, trying to disable. And I'd tell the other guy, I want you trying to murder the first guy. And the guy who was going with lethal force almost always came out on top. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to target a moving limb like that. And when we watch watched this back in slow motion, because uh, we would film these sessions, we'd see that even the attacks that hit the arm were usually not where they needed to be to, uh, completely disabled arm even if it was a deep cut and so and I would encourage people like do your own research you know don't take my word for it you know if you if you're an instructor and you have two students who are really what willing to bang with each other and they sign waivers or whatever you need to do lock them in a six by six room give them two training knives and proper training equipment tell one of them I want you going for the weapon limb and I want you going for the guy's neck and body and throat and face and eyes Film it and see what happens. Prove me wrong, but I'm pretty sure you'll find that you guy who tried to throw in real
0: life incidents, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. A you know, so, what does that tell you? You, learn, you? The best way to learn how to deal with a criminal is learn what a criminal does. Yeah. You know, you, people have got their parties muddled up. They're teaching people how to Im- not be victims and learn various self defense things that are all based on fucking theory against criminal animals the best thing to be doing would be study the predator study the criminal study the guy how does he use a knife? how does he get close how does he use deception how does he use language when he goes what does he do first is it simple motion what's his demeanor is it extremely aggressive well if you diagnose all those elements that make him successful that's the thing you want to be mirror isn't yeah. it that's the stuff that you need in order to deal with that predator exactly and if, you, know, you want to one of the first to do it by studying all the way um, people will use knives and things. So what my bottom line is, what works in it, what works in the real world sense in a martial world is what's employed in criminality. That's yeah, because the one's
2: actually doing
0: it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. exactly what works. And that's why they use it that way. The only difference is we should take it, adapt it, make it more sophisticated and sexy and only implement it for, you know, the need so that you can get home in one piece to those you love. So, from a moral and legal perspective, its use would be different. But what works is what criminals employ, and we need to learn what they know and we need to use it to deal with them. That's the bottom line. Yeah, exactly.
2: You know, it's like, you know, like any number of, you know, great tacticians and military strategists over throughout history have said is you need to understand the enemy to destroy them. You need to understand their their tactics, their mindset. Um, And I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, You know, this is something I've heard you speak about a lot in the past, um, your own experience with traditional martial arts early on in your life and realizing Mm -hmm. the disparity behind what you trained in traditionally and then applying that on the street and seeing
3: Mm -hmm.
0: the predicted Mm -hmm. reaction in the studio versus the real world. physical thing didn't work. It was just the training method. The training method didn't prepare you for the real world. They just didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Know your enemy, know yourself. So by know yourself, you've got to know how fucking shit scared are you going to be when you're faced with that level of violence? What are you made of in terms of controlling your emotional state enough so that you can remain relatively cognitive so you can make the right decisions, hopefully under that situation, and can, most importantly, you access your physical skill set? That's what they mean by know your enemy. So, you know, you know,
1: um, among you know us uh, four here, I, I'm, the, I'm the pure student because you know you're all my teachers. But uh, before I met uh, you, my Scott, teacher. <laughs> I am now, but, but you're, you're,
0: you're <laughs>
3: the loudest, I, yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a used car salesman, but yeah, it's um, it, you know, before I met you, Scott, and before I met you, Lee. Of course, uh, Sixto was my teacher. But before he was my teacher, he's actually, we were friends because before he was my teacher. And, uh, you know, the first thing that he taught me was not Carlos Hermanos. The first thing he taught me was UC. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I asked him, uh, at, that, at, that, at that point many years ago, I was asking him, like, can you give us, you know, me and my friends. Uh, we were taking this, this thick uh, fighting system and we weren't very happy with it. And, uh, and, and I asked him, can you give us a crash course on, on, on self-defense? I said, and he said, no, I'll teach you self-protection is what I'm going to teach you. And the first mm-hmm. thing he taught us was UC. Now, fast forward, I became a student. Uh, so we were, I was actually training Carlos Hermanos together with UC. And uh, shortly after that, he, uh, he showed me Libre. And one of the first things he taught me was how to stab someone in the throat and in the eye and, I've, and I was like, what the hell is this? I'm like, you know, you know, I've, I've never seen, I've never heard anything like it before. Like, you know, like a martial, I, I had been, I've been, uh, you know, training in karate and, uh, and these things, very traditional. And, and I've never been taught how to stab someone in the eye. So uh, early on we were doing Libre UC and Carlos Hermanos together. Now, uh, my question to you guys is, of late especially, it seems that these three systems, UC, uh, Carlos Hermanos, and Libre, it seems that they've been sort of intertwined and uh, people have been talking about them in the same breath. Why is that? Why, 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 is this, why do
0: they seem to mesh so perfectly? Because of the, the, the commonality that we share. It's it's logical. Uh, to me, learning the, the, the basics of Carlos Hermanos or learning the basics of UC or learning the basics of Libre is like it's like a one size t shirt. If you know one, the other makes sense. And I don't think you can say that of many other methods that are out there. I think we all dovetail together. Whereas, you know, most things I've tried before, if it conflicts, I'll take what I need from it and move it on. Because everything's got something. But the fact that, basically, to me, UC is UC with with what God give me, the tools that God give me, unarmed UC applies. Libre is UC with a spike. You know, Calasomus is UC with a lump of wood. Do you know what I mean? It's the this fucking same to me. And that I think that's what people see. And I've got to be honest that I think, and we can probably all say the same thing, that although UC, you. Know, has been around 20 years and was 42 years of its cultivation. Um, it, it's not reached its pinnacle of what I would say combative efficiency until I met Libre, until I met um, it, it, you know, uh, Carlos Amanos. Once I met and added those two implements or implemented those two things into the ingredients, they made what I do better. And I think you know Scott say the same thing, and I think that Six does Absolutely. say the same thing. So they complement each other. They are they were born to be a trio.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I discussed this in the seminar we did. Is just a very the most simple, boiling this down to the most simple sort of uh, visual example that I possibly could. I use the example of just you know this sort of motion here, which we all incorporate yeah. as the basis yeah. of our motion. You see you're using a hammer fist and Carlos Romano's, you're using the single stick, mm-hmm. the double stick, and Libre you're using the reverse edge stab to the eye or the throat. This motion right here, very simple sort of roll and strike it's, it's is something you see yeah. all three systems. Um, and for me, this is a very, you know, if you if you look at the way children fight before they ever see a fight, um, and they're just going purely on instinct. As a three- or four-year-old kid who fights, isn't going to is square up with his hands and start throwing punches. They start winging these shots at each other, and if you, you see the same thing with primates. When primates fight, they throw these hammer fists. It's just the most instinctual way to strike someone,
0: I think, um, and I think, and you, you know, for well, all three of them, some kind of attachment, some kind of grab the hair and just pound with yeah. the other hand. It's so fun. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and we all three, you know, that's
0: like our, you know, one of the base attacks
2: that we use because it is so instinctive. Um, And to me, it's not just enough to train something, something so that you can do it perfect every time. You need to train it to the point that you can't do it any other way. Um, um, You know, your natural instinct, when shit really goes sideways and like you get that adrenal dump and your vision tunnels and your limbs start to feel heavy and tingly and, You lose all sets of time and it feels like things are happening all at once and in slow motion simultaneously um you're going to revert back to what you can you know those skills that you can only do you know you don't want to have that conflict where you're trying to think about this is how i'm going to properly punch this is the way i've trained to punch it has to be the way your body knows how to move um and that basic forehand sort of motion whether it's with a stick a knife Uh, empty hand is one of those instinctual things. So rather than training against that and train that out of you, why not hone that to its perfection so it's the best tool you can have and really do a lot of damage with it? Um, And once you take that basic mechanic, you can do it empty hand, you can do it with a knife, you can do it with a sap, you can do it with a stick, and it's all going to translate because it's just such an instinctive move. Um, And I think another thing that It's really a commonality between all systems is it's really about honing, you know, those survival and predatory instincts, you know, that what's really ingrained in you uh, in an evolutionary sort of level, you know, to survive and to destroy like something that's attacking you. And the way your body naturally wants to move when you're in the right kind of mindset to really destroy something in front of you. Uh, For me, at least, it was it wasn't about. You know, trying to untrain those instincts and train in new instincts. It was about really honing those instincts to
1: a fine edge. Yeah. Well, um, you know, among, among the three of you, you know, at least in my experience, it, it was really Sixto who actively sought you guys out. I mean, you know, he was yeah. he, he he was he was telling us, oh no, look up this guy, you know, Lee Morrison, and look up this guy, Scott Bab. Why is that, Sixto? Why what what attracted you to the work of these? guys here.
3: Uh, like I told you, my original um, ori- original martial arts were more or less traditional and I had to look good. What I found in Libre UC and what I do in C- uh, Carlos Hermanos is focusing, all, all three of us focus on hurting others, on how to hurt others, how to cause damage. It's not how good we look, or how how good we move, but it's to cause that comes maximum like, damage. You
0: do it, trust me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and all, all three systems I noticed we focus on basics. We, for example, me I was just looking. Uh, I was just looking at the video of some guys doing some traditional FMA, and they were sneaking each other stick knife, and the other guy goes in out. It's so. Complex. My mind is just rejecting that. Uh, I, I like to focus on basics, which is what Libre does. It's what UC does. It's all basic, and we focus on attributes. We focus on
0: power, yes. speed,
3: accuracy, yeah. which were this um, is which were all explained by Scott dur- during um, his seminar.
0: Yes, yeah, Scott so, was very heavy with attributes. A lot of people say to me, why have you got so many videos out there? Because, well, let me tell you why, right? Because if you actually look, divide it into two elements. Paul Paul Vunak said this first. You've got skills for self-preservation, then you've got skills for self-perfection. If you look at actually the box that you've got for self-preservation, I could give you what you need in one day. As long as you start thinking along the lines that you should, I could give you it in an hour, a couple of hours. We all could. The self-preservation part is pretty fucking simple. Do unto him before he does unto you, right? And make sure that he never forgets it. That would be that. But the self, when you train that, how long does it take to get that? Well, if it's gross, motor, and simple, it doesn't take very long at all. So how do you get any better? We, there's a point of diminishing returns. The only way that you're going to get any better is now to shift to the other part, which is self-perfection. So how do I get better at throwing a palm strike or throwing an eye staff? Well, get better hand-eye coordination, get better accuracy, tighten up your body mechanics, economize your motion. How do I get those things? You get them from attribute development. So if you look at 20% of 40% of you see 30% maybe, it's probably the self-preservation essence. And the other 70% of the way trains make it that to another level. Does that make sense? And that's what I've seen in your... Method in, and in Scott's method. We do the same. The actual crux of what I need to cave someone's head with a fucking stick not difficult. But how do I do it with finesse, accuracy, and make it sexy? Well, that's where the attribute yeah. stuff comes in. And it yeah. dovetails together. Do you know what I mean? It all fits in. Yeah.
2: On the subject of making, you know, basic sexy, I always, uh, <laughs> I use the example of the Blue Angels. Uh, and if you, anyone watching isn't familiar with that, it's a, it's an aerial, it's a military aerial display team here in the US. And they don't do incredible, uh, incredibly complex maneuvers. They do very simple maneuvers where they'll fly in four planes in super tight formation, 18 inches from each other. Um, and to me, there's two kinds of ways to be uh, visually impressive. One is to, sort of be a peacock, with these big flashy motions, and big sort of aerial kicks and sort of, you know, with a stick, you know, like really sort of flowery motions um, or there's doing basics super, super well. And when you look at the greatest fighters, even sport fighters um, throughout history, they're the ones who do basics, super, super sharp. It's not that they're doing incredibly complex, high-level um, motions. It's that the basics are exactly what where they need to be, and they're precise as can possibly be. And to me, having those basics um, elevated to a level of perfection is just as visually impressive as a more uh, uh, what's a more flowery art like uh, capoeira. I love watching capoeira. Um, you know, with arthritis and a hernia and all the other shit, I could never do it at my age, but I'll watch Capoeira all day long, and it's an incredible physical display, and I really appreciate the acrobatic and the amount of power they can generate by spinning, but to me, watching, you know, Lee or Sixto just do the basics as perfect as can possibly be done is just as impressive,
0: Um, and I think that's what makes, you
2: know, makes a very combative sort of system uh sexy to look at
0: yeah. people say to me well, dude, this is so this is really so simple gross my method it's very simple very logical so what's advanced combat? advanced combat is being able to do that basic shit under the worst possible circumstances where there's total non compliance and he's trying to do everything he can to make you fail now if you do the basic accurate with explosivity with uh, you know it, enough and not too much enough to put down the threat without any thought about it but if you actually freeze framed and rewound well, what did you use well, actually he fucking into it with just punching like, punch in the head and then he grabbed him and he just hammered him to the ground and then need him in a place and it's done well what are those skills are they advanced no of course they're not they're the basics but it's the basics done well which is what i would consider an advanced combatives and how do you get that you get it with developing attributes while you
1: guys, you know, of course, I'm listening to you guys and all that. But I've been, I've been uh, contemplating on my mind if I were really gonna ask this next question because we, before we started this this stream, uh, we had like a passionate discussion about things that have been going on, and uh, I've, you know, I might regret this, but I'm gonna I ask this question anyway. You guys, <laughs> are, you you guys have been at this for a long time now, and Lee, you mentioned the changing times. Um, what is the significance of what you do or what you teach? Is what is the significance of that in the light of the present very unusual world situation? Of what I do? Yes. Of what you teach? Uh, like you know, you see. What is the what I is? I think you have to evolve. You
0: have to. What I actually said to you is, you have to evolve with the modern times. And what I noticed over the last ten years is that there's been a huge evolution in how violence happens and there's many 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 reasons to for that and you know I mean if you look in the UK alone since in the last 15 to 20 years the amount of attacks on women has increased by 75 percent so a a number of that reason is is the fact that we had a huge immigrant invasion and a lot of people's concepts or ideas on what's okay and what isn't is present in a country, and that what that made happen was uh, lots of different acts of violence. There was much more violence towards women, there was much more violence in the street. So there, there was an adaptation. What we also started to see was. Uh, you know, People who had certain beliefs and want to enforce them on others were willing to do that by literal acts of terrorism and lunacy. So you were seeing like the active threat, the active shooter, all these kind of things that you would never have possibly fathomed before. But what I noticed in the um, in, in self protection fraternity, people in my, in my field, they weren't really addressing these issues at all. It was almost like it was the elephant in the room, they were just carrying on teaching what they they taught and I got to the point where well fucking the UC that I've known up till now I don't think will work in that situation I don't know one physical unarmed skill that I could give a woman if she was cornered in an underground car park by three armed men that wanted to gang rape her I don't know any unarmed skill set that's going to get her the fuck out of that but you give her something sharp and she stabs the first fucker in the eye and she There's a good chance she's got a shot, she could run. So, if you said to me 10, 15 years ago, in 10 and 15 years, you were going to be teaching people how to ambush somebody from behind, how to rapidly ambush somebody, either unarmed with something heavy in your hand or a bladed weapon, you were going to be teaching people how to rear, ambush, and take somebody out. If you said to me, in 10, 15 years, you're going to be teaching women how to take a man as a hostage with a knife to his throat, I would have said, are you fucking crazy? The two elements that you've just talked about are acts of criminality. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm supposedly one of the good dudes. I don't want to break any fucking rules. I'm not going to teach people that because if I would have thought at that moment in time it had no place. And like I said, it all comes back to content. It's divided, it, you know, it's decided by the context of the situations. It is the context? Imagine that a woman was followed down to her car after work by three men and they were armed and they were hell-bent on dragging her in somewhere and raping her and infecting her with HIV and doing whatever and, and just in case she's got any recognition of the face, possibly killing her. Well, that's a pretty dire fucking situation. But well, Let's say that she was switched on to enough to recognise that she was being followed and she put something sharp and pointy, covertly in her hand. And then as she got to a car with the intention of getting in and locking the door, she didn't quite make it. And then as the group walked towards her and were about to triangulate her, she took one from behind and put a blade to his neck and said, get the fuck away from me or I'll kill all of you. Imagine that she gave a threat display that they totally was not expecting, that in that moment, reframed their perspective of her. And the guy that she's holding is frozen stiff because he can feel something sharp pointed into his neck. But I put it to you in that situation, that's valid. That's... Context of that, the content of what she did belongs. Now, let's say she just pushes this guy into her other his other two friends, manages to get in her car, lock the door, and drive away. Well, in that situation, actually, nobody's got hurt, and that's a pretty good fucking result. But the actual tactic that she employed, taking him as a hostage, would be frowned upon many years ago. Do you agree? Mm,
3: yeah,
0: absolutely. absolutely right? Now take the context of somebody stabbing somebody from behind or going up to him with something heavy and literally paving in the back of their skull. Where the fuck does that belong? Oh, that doesn't belong anywhere. Doesn't it belong anywhere? Well, imagine a, a situation of an active threat where he's just killed three people in front of you and everyone else in the room is gonna get it. But just from a tactical perspective, you manage to get behind him and he's gonna kill every fucker in the room unless you take him out from behind. Does the context of you taking him out from behind now belong? Yes, they belongs. So I often say to people in seminars, right, I want you to imagine this scenario. In this scenario, I'm sat having food with my family in a restaurant outlet, and I'm using a steak knife to cut a nice piece of juicy steak. And fast forward in the next 90 seconds, I'm going to use this knife, and I'm going to stab this individual dead. I'm going to stab him in the face, take him down on the floor, repeatedly stab him, purge his body, and make sure he doesn't. Is there any context that you can think about where that level of violence would belong? And everyone goes to say to God, no, 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 that doesn't belong anywhere. They're shaking their head like this. And then I give them a hypothetical context. I'm sat in a restaurant having food with my family and this guy's just walked in, he's sweating profusely. He's got heavy clothes on, it's a hot day. He's got a carrier bag. He sat down in the seat next to me. He's looking around left and right, his head's on a swivel. He's looking into this bag. I just kept a glimpse into this bag, and I can see both of his hands inside the bag. He's loading a semi automatic weapon. He's loading a semi automatic weapon in preparation to pull it out, shoot every motherfucker in the room, including me and my family. Would it be right now, within the context of a situation like that, with me to stop him with the only thing I've got in my hand? Would it belong now? Would it be justifiable and sit comfortably with you now? I ask this question. And of course they all go, oh yes, 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 yes. And for those of you that haven't got the bollocks or the minerals to actually do that, would you be glad I was there? Fuck yeah, I'd be glad you were there. So it's all about context, isn't it? If you'd have told me 10 years ago that you'll be teaching stuff like that based on influence from great people that you'll learn from, I wouldn't have believed you. But it makes total sense to me now because, and I've never thought about it twice, because of the involvement of the threat, how the threats change. During this period of lockdown in the UK, there has been more than two handfuls of incidents of armed home invasion, where people, four men, armed men, broke into somebody's house. One kid got shot in the face, somebody got shedded. You know, ridiculous levels of violence during so-called lawful society, because, you know, we're still under normal law. And yet that level of violence happened. Well, with everything that's going on in the world, it's not unlikely that we could approach a level of uh, civil unrest, yeah, a period of societal breakdown and lawlessness before that was reinforced by force or re-established by force, that could happen, right? And if that does happen and there's civil war in the fucking street and factions are trying to take out others just because they're offended at what they think or whatever else, then armed, multiple armed threat is coming your way. It's either coming into your house or it's coming into the streets when you go out to try and get supplies. Now they just said it here in the UK that the food chain from Europe is compromised, which means we're gonna go into a very severe food shortage. What happens when people get hungry? People get hungry, people get fucking crazy. Is it too hard to think that if during a period where food chain is flying and we're in lockdown and so forth, so-called so lawful society is still in place, if people are getting home invaded then, what happens when the food thing goes down and we're all fucking starving and people need stuff? People are going to come and try and get what you've got. So what I would say is that that's a significant involvement in threat within a very short period of time, wouldn't you? In which case, I think skill set you need now needs to—you need to up your game. You need to learn how to use weapons. You need to learn everything you can about home defense. So let's say home security. I improve my home security. Three perimeters to home security. The outer perimeter of the dwelling you live in, so your fence, your walls, your garden, back, front, that needs to be secured or fortified the best way it can. If that gets breached, then the second layer of your home security, your actual threshold, so your front door and your windows, but the only thing keeping people out, that needs to be fortified. Let's say that that is also breached. The third layer of security comes down to this. This is when those perpetrators are inside your house. The only thing that's going to protect you and yours now is you. And whatever the fuck you've got in your hand, preferably one in both hands in that moment and the mentality and willingness to do it. That's the only thing that's going to protect your family in a situation like that. And you could still lose. So if that's the kind of level of involvement threat that's happening in recent months, Yes, I'd say there's a fucking need to up your game and evolve and move with the times. And again, this is another example where I do not see people in my field, so-called top five as I am, saying the same thing. I do not see people saying anything. Well, the only advice that I see from the peers in America is is that stock up on food, get guns and get ammo and good luck. Do you know what I mean? Well, we don't have guns and ammo, bro. If some cunt comes through our fucking door, it's time to get medieval. So we are have we have to go close combat. We have to go hand to hand. There's no projectile option open to us. Not put it to you that if you're gonna get medieval mate, you've got to get the mentality. Most people don't have to know why, because they're fucking snowflakes. <laughs> and that's all I really gotta say about
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to credit Lee for holding his tongue
2: here. <laughs> that was the as he could possibly express himself on this situation. Tell us what so you Well read. done, bro. I
3: know
1: six though. Six though.
3: Okay. Anyway, um, the thing is, um, my belief is, uh, no, um, For me, training with weapons is—it's a shortcut. Uh, when I used to teach some. Military units. I get the smallest person. Sometimes it's a small lady, a woman. Then I get a big guy. Then I tell, uh, I ask the small lady, "Okay, can you attack this big guy hand to hand?" Of course, she gets scared. Then I give this lady a knife. Okay, attack him now, or a big stick. The thing about weapons is uh, weapons. Um, it's a shortcut on.
0: The late- 40-
3: Oh, yeah, it's, it's an equalizer. It's a shortcut of equalizer on hurting people. Um, it makes it um, anyway with weapons the equation of fighting changes. So it's best for me to learn how to use different kinds of weapons. It's
2: got... Um, So I started putting the Libre together in 2004, and it was a very weird time in the United States because 9-11 had recently happened, and there was still a real sense of uh, paranoia in the air. Uh, And the media was always about terrorism and stuff like that. And I used to temper what I was teaching with my students by saying, like, look, understand that we still, at this point in history, despite everything that's going on and all this craziness, and this was back in 2004, i say still understand that even with all the craziness we're seeing in the media and 9-11 and all these, you know, all the subsequent stuff that's happening, understand that we still live in one of the safest points in human history. So don't be paranoid with this stuff. Don't be looking for a reason to pull your knife out because we live in a very safe part of the world and one of the safest points in human history. I don't say that anymore because I can't. It would be a lot. Um, you know, that, you know, now I, if I told someone like, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're in a very safe times right now, you're good, keep an even head, and of course still keep an even head, but now I have to tell people, understand there are very real dangers in society right now that didn't exist, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and this is a weird point in human history on a global level, um, where you know we're starting to see new threats evolve and we're starting to see um thing society change it faster than people can adapt to it like uh putting all politics and everything aside if you just look at what's going on in society regardless of right and wrong and whose fault it is and all that you know you see you know uh you know terrorist attacks in the us we've seen a lot of rioting lately where i teach um which is a generally a very safe area where I hold my class. Um, a few months ago, we had riots there and they burned down several buildings. They attacked a police station. I later learned that the building I teach in, there were actually people with uh, assault rifles on top of the building guarding it from looters and from uh, arsonists. And that's probably one of the only reasons my the room that I teach in didn't burn to the ground. Um, so you know, it's like, I think to deny that at this point in human history is doing your students a disservice. Um, At the same time, you need to express to your students, like, look, you need to be very realistic about what a justified use of lethal force is, where you could use this, you should still do everything you can to avoid employing any kind of self-protection skills or any kind of combative skills, but you need to understand that this may be visited upon you. You might be in a situation where you have to do this because you're seeing people's mentality changing. And with what you see going on in the world now, um, with these lockdowns, and like you were talking about the food shortages in Europe and um, the civil unrest we're seeing here in the United States and just people, you know, not being able to work and not having money. And, you know, I'm, you know, for the most part, I'm still pretty surprised that, things have stayed as even keeled as they have overall, but there's a powder keg that could, I'm not saying it will, but there's a powder keg that could go off where there could be a period of intense civil unrest that you need to be prepared for. Um, and you know, by having your home ready, you know, having your skills at their peak, um, having the tools you need to protect yourself, whether it's firearms or other weapons, having the training to use those things, being mentally prepared for that, um, having supplies enough to take care of uh, your family. And I'm not a prepper in the traditional sense. I, I kind of have always found the prepper community. It's something I've never totally understood. Um, and I'm not saying I understand it exactly now, but I understand it better than I used to. I can say that, um, you know, I understand the mentality of like, yeah, there might be a food shortage, which always, you know, 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, when you really started to see the prepper community coming to the forefront of society, I I would think like food shortage, (laughs) you know, in this day and age, no, I'm not worried about it. And now it's like, yeah, there
0: might I'm be. you know? what you're saying. I get a chance. Just got to add to it. Right now, yeah. I say I've been saying to people for the last ten years. So I can only talk from a UK perspective, although that I travel a lot. Even with all this shit aside, before this pandemic came into vogue, before there was any chance of civil unrest and all the things that we've been talking about were even contemplated in my head. What we were seeing in the UK was violence spiral massively. We uh, we literally became a a, a knife epidemic. They're not a knife-bearing culture by design, but the, the, the knife crime in the UK, the people getting killed, was, was ridiculous. And if you looked at motivation, but primarily it came from gangs and drugs and everything else What you'd expect. But what a lot was happening from was absolutely you know, mental heel health. You were seeing a 14-year-old girl going up to a guy in a park who's walking his dog and stabbing him to death and the dog to death. You were seeing a, an old woman that looked like Mrs. Doubtfire, a grandmother of sixty, going up to two to two, two uh, a family in the street with two little kids, and stabbed a three little three-year-old boy in the fucking eye and tried to stab the, the little girl. I mean, incomprehensible. Could even imagine that level of violence by that kind of people. In short, it was getting to the point where it, you can really not realistically trust no one. And the only way that you're ever really going to strive to stay switched on and be safe is that you expect the unexpected of all times. People in the UK for a long time before this happening were living in a permanent state, condition orange, where they are alarmed. Anyone can kick off for any fucking reason at any time, and anywhere. And it seemed that there was no consequences to that. So I was saying to people before all of this, I put it to you that within the lifetime that you have left, whether they are 20, whether they are 30, whether they're in their 50s like me or someone older, there is an absolute high probability that at some point in the life that you have left, you will face a potential lethal threat to life. There is a chance that you could face deadly force. And the reason that I'm saying that is because any situation that find yourself if you need fender bender even if you take somebody's parking space the response that you will get in terms of trivial, trivial arguments is, is like people stabbing people and killing people for no fucking reason other than they can or they forgot their medication or it felt good or whatever reason and it, it is so bad now that you know any method of unarmed self protection is there's no guarantee to it there's absolutely no guarantees to anything anyway. But the only way that you're going to recall that type of threat disparity, whereas a single person is likely to face somebody who is armed or more than one person who are armed, and they will kill you for kicks. The only way you're going to deal with that kind of level of violence is if you learn weapons and you start to evolve in your mindset, which is all the things that we're talking about. But it's not a case of it could happen. It is happening. And it's coming, and it ain't going to get no, but it's going to get worse before it gets fucking better. I've no doubt that it will get better. I do believe that, you know, that shed some light on this and eventually wake up and see our way through it. Eventually. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. The, the fact of the matter is that the real threat is changed. And that is, life is cheap now. Nobody holds any value on life anymore. You know, you, you can just say the wrong word to somebody and they'll have kill you for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's so dangerous. And if you think that I am you know, being over-exaggerating about that, well, you know, what I say to you is I hope you don't act it. I <laughs> really do, I, no, I don't wish it on you because you have not got the mental preparation to deal with it, no matter what caliber of weapon you carry, no matter how many fucking systems you train, you have not got the fucking minerals up here to deal with. The first way to deal with you know, that level of violence is to first accept that that level of violence is out there. And that scares most people. That scares most people. And the reason a lot of naysayers don't like what we do, and there are some, you know, many out there, and they, they come from the MMA circles, they still come from the traditional martial arts circles, is because they don't want to listen to what people are saying. And they don't want to think that their lifetime of spent learning all these superfluous skills of how to do all this flowery shit was a waste of time. They don't, want, they don't want to fight, they don't want to own up to them. Do you know what I mean? They really don't. I mean, I could show you a street predator 10, 15, 20 years ago that, you know, in a physical sense, had no martial prow- prowess, but he was a mean bastard. He'd bite your fucking nose off and swallow it. Well, that's a very difficult thing to deal with because if somebody is prepared to go to that level of violence, then when they face you with that, they're on nine, about to go to 10 Whereas the, the, the snowflake today is still on one thinking about what you've got an hour for dinner. There's no way you can catch up, it doesn't have the capacity. So you know, I put it to you that yes, Christ, we've changed massively. And to be honest, the, the combination of what we do as a trio, in my opinion, gives you the best shot. And even if you use the best knowledge from all three of us and anything else and your own logic, there's no guarantees, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, the threat has evolved so much and then of course, all of what's coming now has happened Then in evolved so you know, apply logic to it and work it out yourself, what do you think? Do you think that you know what we're that you need to learn some shit? In a sense, we've all we're all preppers, we've been prepping for a long time, we're not preppers in the geek squad sense, but you know why have we all been training in methods of self-preservation? We know that potentially it could come our way and we may need our skills to protect us and we love no one else is going to jump in and help us and a lot of people you know jump on the bandwagon of this with kit and edc and everyday carry what i say to people is your everyday carry starts with what you get up with in the morning so if i get out of bed in the morning and hit the shower i'm you know start naked like the day i was born my Everyday carry begins right there. Totally stood naked. That's what it begins with. The three elements of my everyday carry that are all with, with me first of all is my mindset and my willingness to do whatever I need to do to prevail. The second is my skill set, my ability to fucking do it. And the third is my general physical preparedness. The fact that I know I need to be fit to fight. I need to be able to train and be strong. I might need to throw somebody up out of harm's way. I may need to pick something up heavy and throw it through a window to get out of a burning building. I might need to deal with two or three people whilst protecting somebody else. You need to be fit to do that. So your EDC begins with your mindset, your skill set, and your general physical preparedness. From there, you can add incremental layers as and when needed. Unless you've got the fucking right mindset backed up with the skill set, you're dead in the water.
2: Yeah, I think we live in a a really bizarre time in that the world has gotten much, much harder. And men, to be politically incorrect about it, men have gotten much, much softer. You know, it's
0: like, you know, and, you
2: know. Yeah, you know, I, I hate to jump on the bandwagon of bashing millennials, but it's a soft fucking generation that's coming up, you know, under us, uh, which is fucking bizarre to me. Cause they're living through all this fucking weird shit. Sorry. I curse a lot. They're living through all this weird, violent shit that, I mean, they grew up in a, in a society where they never knew a pre nine 11 world and they're still, still just physically and mentally soft as fuck.
0: And I don't understand it. Um, Make no mistake, the majority if this goes tits up the way it could go, they got no chance. Yeah. They've got no fucking chance. And when the likes of old school like me are gone, it'll die with the likes of me. Do you know what I mean? If we no, ever go to a kind of war that you're likely to have nowadays anyway, it doesn't involve close contact or hand to hand, there's that you're from some drone somewhere. But if it ever got to the point where the, the generation that you know that, that is available now of people if they ever were called up and went to war and called to fight for their country, mate, we're fucked. (laughs) Make no
2: mistake. We're fucked. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I think all of us can say this, you know, when you see younger people coming to train with us, there are a lot of people who are, you know, in their mid twenties who've never been in a fight before. Like it just like, even just growing up as children, most, I'm sure all of us, had plenty of fights. I mean, just stupid kid teenage shit. Oh, God. Uh, you know, and then like, you know, you work in the doors, obviously. You, you know, were fighting well into adulthood.
0: Um, well, it, but, it began long I, before I, that for me. It began like as a youngster. I was yeah, born yeah. into domestic violence, left home in school when I was 11, was involved in gangs and then football violence, and then I went on the door. So, yeah, I know what it was like.
2: Yeah, yeah been, I to make. You know, I grew up in a trailer, trailer park surrounded by poverty. There was a lot of drugs around us. Like, the older kids used to make us fight each other for fun. Um, and I never, like, growing up thought that, you know, this made me hard. To me, this was just, like, a normal experience. And I think this new generation just doesn't have this experience where they sort of grow up being toughened up, you know. Um, no, so. you know and I think, you, I think where you see the biggest disparity is with young men where – it used to be that young men, like, you know, as, as a boy, you would have to sort of get in fights and get toughened up and you'd fall down and you'd go run into your dad and your dad would say, put some fucking dirt on it. Stop being a fucking baby.
3: Yeah.
2: And now you get they get cuddled and, you know, it's like, you know, people <laughs> have become very, very soft now in a world that's getting
0: very hard. And I think that's just a risk. In my day, fucking- right, you, you would bunk off school, get in fights, chase girls, you would steal alcohol and cigarettes from a shop for a dare, you would get suspended, you would get in all sorts of shit, seriously. You torn clothes, you pretend to shoot each other with machine guns holding a stick. Boys were boy. <laughs> Nowadays, the boy of my age is on YouTube showing women how to apply makeup as a tutorial <laughs> <laughs> better than
2: fucked. <the> <clears throat> <clears throat> And I believe that all people should know how to fight, but I believe, and yeah. I know I'm going to probably get shit for this because it sounds sexist, but I especially think men should know how to fight on some level. It's just part of, you know, your societal duty is a dude is you should know how to throw hands at the very least if you have to. And I think most people don't, um,
0: uh, you know, I, most of the I, younger Tampa generations certainly don't. I mean, there's still, there's still ghettos everywhere. So, yeah. you know, when we, when we taught in the Philippines and we, we just walked from your great boxing gym just down the road to our hotel, we probably passed two or three ghettos. There's young kids in there that most certainly can fight, have had to need to fight. In many other countries, you have similar ghettos. There's still youngsters out there that have had it rough, that know how to fight, and they usually become predators. They have no other choice. And there's certainly enough victims to choose from. But it's usually you're a product of your life experience. Too many of these little pampered fucks that are shouting off now have been in a period of what's been called the long peace. The long peace probably since the end of World War II where there's been conflicts, but there's never been anything in their backyard that they've had to worry about. And they've been protected and modern coddled. There's never been a sniff of something going to the streets where there could be civil war in the town that you live in. So they are unprepared, you know, simply unprepared. You do not prepare your uh, your child for the dangers of the world by modicodling them and protecting them. You know, to use a metaphor, you would protect your child by teaching them how to use a sword, not necessarily a sword in, the, in a weapon sense of choice as a metaphor. You would teach the child how to cut something down. And The reason for that is there's lots of things out there that would need slaying. So protecting kids, you know, protecting them with, with, you know, boundaries of yes, you can be as feminine as you want. Don't embrace your physical side. No, you don't have to learn how to look after yourself. to together, a thing doesn't exist anymore. There's never going to be a time when you need to stand up and protect somebody else. Well, if you keep pushing that as the narrative, what do you expect's going to come out as a byproduct? And personally, I think it was, that is all part of the plan. You know, pacify men. That's the whole objective. You know, now, now if they, if I said something like, well, I think it's the, the man's place to be the hunter-gatherer and go out and supply for his family, apparently I'm, I'm a feminist, I'm a sexist. Well, why can't women do that? Well, I'm anyway, saying they can't do that, but, you know, they've got enough to deal with looking after the children in the home, which is a much harder job from, from a perspective than a man going out to work, but you can't say anything even in a protective sense because they're bending. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same sort of people that put up these memes, like you get a guy dressed in a fucking tutu walking down the road saying, my generation, is gonna start a revolution. I'll put it to you that your generation couldn't start a fucking lawnmower. <laughs> um, yeah. um,
2: and on the subject of mentality, um, like I had uh, an incident A few years ago probably a year maybe a year and a half ago where I saw smoke near my house I went over there and there was a house on fire there was a gate around it and there was the guy was on the other side of the gate with a hose trying to put it out and there was a crowd of people on the street side of the gate just watching not helping not doing anything they were videoing it on their phones and I jumped over the gate and I started helping him I helped get the dog out but once I jumped over the gate other people did but before I got there, everyone was just standing around, like watching what was going on. And I think that. Video on their phone? When I, when, I, when I was growing up, everyone would have been over that gate. If they saw their neighbor's house on fire, they would have jumped over the gate. They would have been helping him. They would have been doing this. And now it was just like everyone was just kind of standing around watching. Um, and I think that just kind of shows where society's gone and that, you know. It's There's mess. a sense of community that doesn't exist anymore.
0: Um, it's gone. It's a period
2: gone. You were quite yeah. right. That era is gone. But I will say, once I did go over the gate, other people did. They're like, oh, shit, let's go help. Like, it just hadn't even occurred to them. And I don't know if it was that they felt that it would be invasive to enter someone else's property. But I know if my house was on fire, I wouldn't give a people fuck if someone
0: could be to the They need to be told what to do and they need yeah. to follow. There is no fucking leaders anymore. Yeah. And those um, are of not our best interests at heart. Yeah. And to me, it was just
2: like, it was really eye-opening to me to understand that, like, you know, what I would have thought would have just been a normal act. You know, my neighbor's house is on fire. Let me go help him. Other people just were kind of sitting there watching until they saw someone else put the thought in their head, like, Hey, let's go help this guy. And once they did, people kind of strung, sprung into action. And I think they're, to me, that's not even leadership, but I guess it is.
0: Um, it is. So yeah. In an urban environment, what you're seeing in cities now, and, it, and it's been very common because they've done lots of you know, tests in cities. So, for so example, like Los Angeles or London or Paris, or they did the test where the guy collapses in the street on a public bridge. He falls over. It looks like he's having a heart attack, but he's not moving. And they film it, and they film it for a duration of something like 17 minutes before maybe one person just prods him and asks him if he's all right. The rest is stepping over him. And that is a, a, a very urban, common thing to an urban environment. So I moved out of the city. I've been a city kid all my life, and I live right out of New Forest now, right in the streets. And I find that people in a, in a more rural environment where there's less people tend to take more care of each other. In terms of community, so they did the same test of a guy falling over, he's in a heart attack or something, he's on the ground and now he's not moving in a little postage stamp country village in the UK, and within five minutes, six people came out of their house to help. I just think the urban mentality is just made people dehumanise other people, dehumanise other people. You know, is that? disconnected spread out thing oh no that doesn't involve me i'll keep walking and they turn the other cheek and you see the same thing if somebody beating up a woman you know they say that a woman's got more chance of a response if she shouts fire than if she shouts rape. how fucking sad is that because nobody's coming you know and that is just the, the mentality of people now it's just nobody gives a fuck nobody cares but where does that stop where do you where do you stop turning the other cheek? I mean, look at all this child trafficking shit that's going on right now. But the people that don't want to know about it just turn the other cheek. Yeah, they're self-obsessed. As long as I've got me 35-inch big colour plasma TV and I've got me cans of beer at the weekend and leave me in my little bubble and nobody bothers me, I don't want to know. Well, that's the kind of society that you've got. In which case, you know, <laughs> We're, we're, we've not got much of a future if everybody is, thinks along those lines. But not all of us do. There is some old school people left that you know that have a strong community and spirit and really want us to uh, unify. But it's very difficult. It's very difficult. The majority the feel losing tough. battle on that front. I agree. I agree. But it's certainly one of those things you've got to at least you know. Yeah, you gotta fight go down. Not go down fighting.
1: Yeah. You know, you know i I wrote the questions for this podcast, and I feel like an idiot now, because this should have been the last question, because this is this is by far the most compelling part of the podcast. Well, uh, country, I, <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have one more question, all right, before I let you guys go, and this is more like a snoozer compared to what we've been talking about the past few minutes. Um, a, f- a few A couple of months ago um you the three of you uh collaborated in an experiment because the, the three of you you know you you've known to 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 teach people and feed off your students uh in a live setting of course you you've, you've 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 you have videos uh but but you're more known for uh for for teaching live and feeding off the reactions of your of your students uh but recently uh you collaborated, the three of you, in a an online, a totally online seminar uh, because of, you know, what has been happening. You know, we we have lockdowns left and right. people can't get out of their homes. And you participated in an experiment that we called the, the Triple Summit Seminar. And it was the three of you, uh, the three weekend seminar. And it was, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, this was broadcast uh, in three countries, uh, in Britain, in the U.S., and in the Philippines. Uh, in three time zones. Now, uh, my question is, how was that experience for you? And if, if any, what what is your takeaway from what you ex- experienced from that?
0: Lee, start off. Yeah, like, well, my my, I'm proper technophobe. I'm not, you know, pavement and all this kind of thing. And the amount of trial and error I I have had to implement to get this Zoom thing down. It is unbelievable, but what a useful tool. I mean, what a useful tool anyway. I don't just mean in a period of lockdown. I mean, what a useful tool in order to touch base with students. And I don't know if I can speak for you, but I've got many students that uh, have got no chance of ever getting to the UK to train with me. They're not likely to get to a, a seminar or anything else and train alone or train with like groups. And that's why we started the study group then. And, you know, what a great tool Zoom is to be able to work with those people. It really is a useful thing. But what I took from it in terms of the, um, the effect of the combination of the three of us created over an hour's delivery was what, like I said, in the beginning from the feedback, i got a lot of people saying to me that I learned in my mind, in my opinion, the self-preservation skills that could save my fucking life. As long as I get my right mindset, on it, unarmed with a knife and with a stick, I feel more confident than I did before. And I thank you for that. Well, if you could impart that kind of powerful, increasing confidence in somebody via this technology in an hour's time without actually physically touching them, I think that that has got to be a worthy thing. You know, I mean, I've got to be honest, I miss the social, the, the, um, uh, a seminar circuit I'm supposedly back on the seminar circuit at the end of next month I don't know if that will come to fruition or not or they hit us with the um, prepared second wave of this horrible thing and then shut us down again I mean it's already ri- been written what they intend to do but I can't wait to get back on the circuit but one thing I know for sure it's never going to be the same again and mm. uh, this social distancing implement is, is smashing our very social fibre you know, people are not going to be communicating in the same way and you've only got to watch UFC. How eerie is it to watch a UFC fight now when you've got no one in the fucking audience and you've just got a girl or you know, a referee and you've got two guys slugging it out? It's just got no atmosphere to it. You know, this, this, this whole thing is going to compound a lot of things, particularly sport, football and everything else and what I do or what we do. You know, I mean, classes are, are back to normal in some cases. I mean, in the Czech Republic, they're doing all the things they did before. They're like grappling, they're sparring, doing scenarios and simulations. But here, you know, it, it's a very slow 10-foot process. You know, you've still got to do this social distancing thing. And the only thing available to us is solo training. Now, I never realized just how much scope solo training had until I put what I thought was logical together for people in the period of lockdown. So a lot of good has come out of this. I mean, growth comes from restriction, as they say. But you you cannot practice close-court combat unless you get fucking close with somebody. And I absolutely miss ragging people around and getting ragged around. I mean, it's a plot. You're not going to get the actual full gamut of self protection skills and an understanding of what it feels like, unless we get back to integrating with people. But um, what it has taught me is, is that the amount of people that you can touch with distance learning via Zoom and the amount of stuff that you can do solo, it was a lot more than I, I would have previously thought. So it can certainly keep your skills sharp. But um, there's no doubt about it. At some point, if we do not get back to the normal way that we used to train, to the point where we can simulation and scenario training or whatever else, then uh, it, it's going to have a, an, an effect on uh, your, your combative efficiency and your ability to 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 get where you need to be in terms of skill. There's only so much you can do this way but i do i do think it's it's really good now if we do ever get back to a semblance of normal where we can are fortunate enough to have seminars again and do what we used to do it will be much more appreciated but now we've also learned to supplement and i will supplement a lot of my students that live um, in other countries i've taught uc in over 40 countries and i will definitely supplement maybe an annual visit with them to their weekly training, to their weekly, uh, monthly workshops with this Zoom idea. Cause I think uh, it's a very useful tool. Yeah. Sixth
3: well, the, um, the seminar was um, eye opener for me. It's a different kind of animal. The way you teach online is much different from teaching in person, like what Lee said. But, uh, Of course, it's best if we learn in person, live in person, but right now with our limitations, I think this is a good method of imparting knowledge to other people.
1: Scott?
2: Um, So this is something I've said for a long time is martial artists tend to be very slow to adapt to technology. Um, And I'm... Very guilty of this myself. Uh, If it were left up to me, we'd be having this conversation with fucking smoke signals. But um, if you look at like, when the DVD revolution happened, martial artists were still getting uh, instructional materials on VHS tape. And now that everything has gone digital, I still sell more DVDs than I do digital downloads. And I think part of this comes from when, mo- I think even most combative practitioners start off in traditional martial arts. Um, and I think you kind of have a reverence for the old way of doing things uh, because of that, that sort of stays with you throughout your entire career. Um, and I think that you know, this lockdown and this pandemic is sort of forcing martial artists to catch up with the times a little bit and embrace online training. And you're seeing a lot of it happen in different venues. Um, And I think that is going to change the way that martial arts and combatives is trained from this point going forward. I think I don't see the world, even if when this is over, I don't see the world going back to what it used to be. And I think part of that, for better or worse, is going to be, you're going to see more online training, more online classes. And, I mean, it goes without saying that that has its limitations, and you're not going to rise to the level that you otherwise would uh, in a weekly or going multiple times a week or even just attending seminars regularly where you are getting roughed up and tossed around and hit and actually feeling the physicality of what you're doing. But I think that online training is gonna be playing a bigger role in people's training moving forward from this point forward because people tend to not move backwards with technology in my experience. Once people embrace a certain kind of technology it stays with them. And I think that this pandemic and everyone having to go to an online format is sort of gonna grab the the martial arts and combatives world kicking and screaming and pulling it forward into the modern age. Um, and so I think even when this is over, you're gonna see more online seminars. Um, and I think there's gonna be stubborn instructors out there. And I think there's stubborn instructors right now who are just gonna to refuse to be a part of this. And they're going to get left in the wake uh, of everything that's happened. Uh, you saw this in the martial arts world when MMA hit big, and people started to move away from traditional martial arts. And it's like when I was a kid growing up, you would see a Taekwondo, a Kenpo school, a Tang Soo Do school, a Kung Fu school. They were everywhere. Now you don't. I don't see any traditional martial arts schools around. Maybe a Taekwondo class that specializes in teaching kids, but I don't see commercial storefront martial arts schools any traditional martial arts schools anymore uh in my area but there's an MMA school on every fucking corner um and I think that's because the the traditionalists didn't adapt with the times and understand that MMA changed the dynamic of how martial arts and combatives is going to be trained people have a better eye for bullshit now uh even people who don't train sort of have a better eye for like oh that shit ain't gonna work um and I think that the combatives and martial arts industry is going to have to be willing to move forward. Even when all this is over right now, they're, they're doing it out of necessity, but I think this is going to change the way that it's that martial arts and combatives is trained uh, for the rest of our lives. I think there's going to be a more ready and I could be wrong, but I think there's going to be more. Acceptance. No, eh. I think it's going to be, there, people are going to accept, that this is a form of legitimate training. And of course it doesn't replace in-person training, but I think people are gonna see there is a place for it and that you can develop s- certain skills on your own that will, and that if you do develop certain attributes on your own, it'll make you more functional when you have in-person training and you'll be able to progress faster through in-person training. And whenever I've trained still and remotely even before this, Um, I always explain to them like, look, I'm setting you up for in-person training. I'm teaching you the basic mechanics, the principles and all that. I'm teaching that to you remotely in preparation for when I can train you in person. And I think that's what people are going to have to understand is that online training is prepping you to be better in your in-person training when we have the option to train in person again. Uh, And I think that's where the industry is going. And I think that the three of us, or the four of us, I'm sorry, are very fortunate that we're at the forefront of this now. Um, you know, we were right there at the beginning, of sort of planning this this event um, at the beginning of this pandemic. And however long this goes on, um, I think more and more people are going to start to realize like, hey, even if it's just out of necessity, like, hey, I need to get some income coming in, I need to eat. Uh, you'll start to see more people gravitating towards teaching in this format. And, students through necessity will start gravitating towards this form of learning during the pandemic. And I think it's gonna stay with with the martial arts and combatives culture after this is over. I don't think we're gonna go back. And I know it's, unpo- it's an unpopular thing to say that you know there'll be a new normal after this. People are like, oh, fuck your new normal. I want life the way it was. And like, hey, that's not gonna happen. Um, no. I like life better the way it was before this. Um, I like doing my weekly classes in person. Uh, i think we'll long for the day the pre um, the pre lockdown days the same way we all long for the pre 9/11 days but just like with 9/11 i think that this is going to change culture forever and if you don't mentally accept that and you don't adapt to what you're doing now early on you're going to get left behind um, and so, to me, it's not a matter of, oh, does this have benefits? Does it not have benefits? This is the, new, this is the reality we
0: live in now. This is what it is, and this is what we've got. The two main hurdles that I see as an instructor are, the majority of people may be coming to learning some sort of martial method for the purpose of self-preservation for the very first time. This will be all they've got, and this will be all they know. And I think they will go some way towards developing the skills that they need. And if they do their own research and pay attention, they could get a lot from it. But what they're not going to get is the hands-on stuff. The other hurdle that I see as well, if you have any type of yardstick to progress within the method that you teach, as we do, so we have a non-compulsory grade levels that people usually want as a yardstick to progress. And, of course, a lot of people want to become an instructor UC. Now, if you're going to become an instructor within UC, then there's a grading process. And if there's a grading process, each part of that grade has very high stress element. And the only way that that stress element can be induced is by other students. There has to be physical contact. There has to be a, a testing of the skills that you're learning with total non-compliance and somebody striving to make them fail, and yet you bastardize them and make them work. And that's where principles work supreme so well. Techniques usually fall apart like a paper condom in such situations. But the principles have the scope for adaptability. So if, you've got, if I say to a guy on his grade three test, let's say, grade two test, right, you're going to go in this room in a simulation, you're going to get a problem, I want you to deal with it, and then get to the exit That means that the problem he's going to get when he goes into the restroom or wherever it is I've set up the simulation is going to be total non-compliant energy. It's going to be to padded assailants that are looking to test the student's skill level. Now, because they'll be testing his skill level, the purpose of somebody wearing a suit and simulation would not be for them to show the poor guy that's doing the test what they can do. The purpose of them giving him the test will be to push his envelope to show him what he can do but the only way that you're going to get that kind of uh, progression in confidence and understanding and learning is with physical interaction if that physical interaction part is missing then i think we're going to hit some serious hurdles in terms of well, how do we progress our students and how do, we, how do we make somebody of an instructor level? It's never going to be the same if this is all we've had. So if it becomes a position where we're never going to be able to get hands off of students reliably and the best that you're going to get is if they've got somebody that they live with can come in on the video and, and pressure test them as best they can, that's as good as it's going to get. And then I think you will see a dilution in standard.
2: Nah. Um, The bottom line is the industry is going to have to adapt one way or another. Um, I think some people who um, have been successful previously are going to want to stick with the old way of doing things. And I think ultimately that's going to put them in a very bad situation because we're going to have to redefine the way people are trained moving forward from this. And hands-on, you know, pressure testing is going to have to be a component of it. Um, and it might but be harder
0: to do. The economic pinch that's coming, that, you know, my brothers in the Philippines certainly already feeling to a, a drastic degree. The, the economic pinch that's affect everyone will absolutely give you no choice. I don't think it would be a matter of preference anymore. If you want to you know, no. eat and get rent paid and this is what you do, then you've got to keep doing it. So, like you say, yeah, you will have to adapt
2: um you know every you know everything is evolutionary and this is a point where it's evolve or die um and for the students too if students aren't willing to embrace distance training during this uh, pandemic they're not going to be able to train um if instructors aren't w- willing to embrace this kind of technology moving forward they're not going to be able to teach um because honestly we don't know how this is going to play out i mean this could be resolved at the end of this year, or it could be periodically for, you know, decades to come. There's going to be times when society just shuts down uh, and we just, and society adapts to like, hey, we're going on lockdown for a couple months and it just becomes a part of our normal life. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that's not the way things plan out, but we have to be ready for that. Um, I mean, hopefully we're all wrong. Hopefully, you know, by this time next year, Society's just the way it was a year ago. I don't think that's going to happen though. Uh, and I'm preparing for that not to be what happens. I would rather be wrong about it uh, uh, than be right. But I don't know. I think this is just something that needs to be embraced.
1: So, that, so from what you guys are saying, does that, does that mean that there's going to be a part two of the triple summit series? I'm, I'm down. down. Yeah. <laughs> that was the plan.
0: Right? Anyway. We, a plan. we in the foundation just for that very thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well,
1: anyway, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much, guys. This this has been an eye opener, and it's it's been fun as usual with you guys. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, so, parting words, Sixto.
3: Stay safe.
1: That's it. Stay safe, <laughs> Scott
2: uh adapt everyone in every facet of your life be proactive with all this shit you know do what needs to be done now ahead of time rather than waiting for shit to be necessary uh with your training with your lifestyle with everything look ahead don't live in the moment you know be think about all possible futures and be prepared for them um that's all we can do uh you know, I'd rather be prepared for it and not need it than not be prepared for it and be
0: fucked. Lee? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, right. So usually when we do I do any kind of thing like this, I always rough somebody's feathers up the wrong way. To that all I can say to you is I did tell Dex don't do it. And he still, <laughs> still did it. I, I can ask for that. <laughs> I would saying the last thing we said before
3: we started
2: is, Dax, don't go (laughs) that. You're gonna regret it. Um, That's
1: what I live for, bro. I live for controversy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much uh, for everyone out there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, Um, and uh, hopefully you can join us again uh, on our next episode. And uh, stay safe, everyone. And Peace out.